Welcome to another exciting episode of The NIDS View, a weekly show of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we are advancing peace, promoting stability, and helping you to think deterrence. Each week, we discuss and analyze a recent topic and provide insight into how it affects our national deterrence. We hope you enjoy this show. Welcome to another great episode of the NIDS View. Of course, I'm Adam Lowther, along with Curtis McGiffin, Chris Stewart, and Jim Petrosky. And today we're talking about an article that uh, recently came out in War on the Rocks. It's called Artificial Intelligence and Nuclear Stability by Michael Depp and Paul Shara. And the reason we wanted to talk about it is because back in 2019, Curtis and I wrote America Needs a Dead Hand, and then we had a follow-on article that explained, because that original article caused quite the stir, and we had a lot of folks who said, you want, you know, you want Skynet, you want the Whopper, and we were like, no, 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 that's not exactly what we wanted, so we wrote a response article called The Big and Urgent Task of Modernizing NC3, and then there have been some subsequent articles in War on the Rocks over the years, and this is the latest iteration. And so we wanted to talk about it because this idea of using artificial intelligence, machine learning, algorithms writ large uh, within a modernized NC3 system is something that uh, deserves ample discussion. And so with that, of course... Uh, Curtis, you had sort of a 30,000 foot take on the article. And, and then of course, engineer Jim will jump in, uh, uh, after that, but, but let's start up at the 30,000 foot level. Well, thanks Adam and Chris. Good to see you. Jim's good to see you. Uh, I'm glad to be back for my assignment. Uh, and I appreciate, uh, you all carrying on without me. I know it was difficult. Uh, Hey, so this is an interesting article. (laughs) <laughs> While I disagree with most of it, um, uh, I'm going to take a little bit of the political side, which is weird because Chris Stewart is here with us. So don't tell him I'm going to talk about politics. Um, so really, this well, this why, why would you want to ruin a good day <laughs> and talk about talking politics? about politics? Well, it just feels to me like this is another piece of sort of this call to idealism that um, you know these are uh, you know artificial intelligence. Is a bad is a bad ingredient to an already bad baked casserole we call nuclear deterrence, and therefore we should uh, do everything we can to tie both of our hands behind our backs while our adversaries move forward and advance in various technologies. And um, uh, it just feels to me like this is still this kind of idealism. Um, and I was really interested in in sort of the, uh, the the nuance about the article i mean because there's just it is what it is um and one of the things that bothered well one of several things that, that kind of caught my attention bothered me is the wrong term i don't want to say that um is they note this uh the recently uh signed i guess uh, as of november 1st uh here's the list but the political declaration on responsible military use of artificial intelligence and autonomy it's a very wordy uh, title here uh, through the bureau of arms control deterrence and stability and they note that there are uh, 50 
countries plus the U.S., uh, so 51, I guess, um, who have signed off saying uh, sort of that there's, they support this ethical use, if you will, this responsible use of AI in, in the military. And, and, and America's military and many of the Western militaries are, are sprinting at figuring ways to, to better automate, to include artificial intelligence in their battlefield weapons and capabilities um, and these sorts of things. And I, I think it's interesting that, that, uh, that we as a country are, are just fundamentally okay with uh, using AI to kill and destroy on the battlefield, but not okay with using AI to, in, to keep the peace and ensure deterrence. Um, and yet, uh, so when I look at these 50 states that signed off of them, uh, first of all, you can already write off, what, 30 NATO countries, because they're all there. And then you can add, you know, the usual um, uh, Western uh, friends of Australia, Japan, uh, the Republic of Korea, um, and then there are some notable uh, um, signatures that I that I'm that you know I'm so glad that they have promised to responsibly use artificial intelligence when it finally gets there. Countries like Ethiopia, the Dominican Republic, uh, Liberia, um, Malawi, um, uh, the uh, the the scary vast military of San Marino. Uh, so these are all, uh, you know, really uh, useful um, inclusions as we try to put out to the rest of the world that they should join on here. Let me note the countries that have not signed on to the responsible use of artificial intelligence. So we can presume that it won't be the responsible use, quote unquote, with their nuclear capabilities. The People's Republic of China, Russia, North Korea, India, Pakistan, Iran uh, uh, are the notable antagonists of the world that I would say, uh, well, maybe not India, I apologize, uh, but are, are nuclear powers or who are antagonists out there that aren't interested in participating in a responsible uh, artificial intelligence imp- uh, use. And I would presume both in the battlefield and within perhaps their nuclear deterrent. So I think it's uh, something that we need to understand. We don't have a very good record, in my opinion, and Adam, you can check me on this, of sort of uh, uh, leading by example. That if we set various examples that other nations will follow. And um, I'm curious as to why. Maybe you can enlighten me, Adam. Well, before before we do that, I wanted Jim to, to and Chris to jump in on their their take of, of this piece yeah, yeah, yeah. Go so ahead, every time Jim. someone mentions, you know, less taking the lead, I, uh, for for our listeners, I pulled out my uh, my my nicely three D printed um, cooling tower because it reminds me in the nuclear world where um, you know the United States has said we will we will show the world that we should never reprocess by not reprocessing our nuclear fuels and. Uh, how's that going for the rest of the world? I'm glad we're not doing it, but everyone else seems to find it okay. So, you know, these kind of things are rather interesting. And in this idealistic world, I will agree. If we were, if it was the idealistic world and we said, we're not going to do it, no one else did it, at least it would be an even playing field. But even then, I'm not looking for an even playing field. I'm looking for a deterrent against an adversary who's being aggressive and giving the uh, best capability we have on the books to ensure 
that our adversaries will take no action. That is deterrence. We produce that fear, as Curtis says, or as often Curtis says, a tongue-in-cheek, the the juice is not worth the squeeze, right? So um, so for our listeners, uh, what you don't see is you don't see my hair on fire running about AI. One, even though, unlike Adam, I, I, you know he's the only one, other one here that has any hair, uh, at least a lot of it. I'm probably number two on the list. Curtis covers his. <laughs> so anyway, so my, my point is I'm not going to run with my hair on fire about AI. I've actually... And in fact, in building this podcast and some of my podcasts, I use AI to actually edit and write. It makes me more functional. It makes me more useful. It makes me sound more intelligent. I know that's hard to believe. Um, it and, is hard uh, to believe. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so powerful stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so it's powerful stuff. So let's not, let's not kill the baby with the bathwater as, as Curtis was saying. And that's not how I would say that. Oh yeah. That's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Never mind. But my, my point is that AI is another tool in a tool chest and we need to look at it functionally. I do. And, and so saying AI is going to take over and launch our nuclear weapons in some strange fashion. I want to I want to go to one comment and I'm going to turn it over to Chris because I got like I've, I've just hit like 50 points that I could probably take the whole hour talking about. We talk about dangers of automation or talking about drones that that have flown accidentally through uh, uh, through the desert and lost in Iran. Um, or Iraq. I wasn't sure where this was. I got to relook this uh, this context in the article. But my point is that things happen, and when they happen, we point to AI as oh no, the drones are now out there doing something. Let me let me say, and, and Chris will probably be able to respond. Is if I have a nuclear aircraft and it's carrying a nuclear weapon, and I have an accident on board and I fly off of it, that airplane's going to continue to possibly fly and possibly go somewhere. Those are part of the Things that happen when we have not just automated systems, but any system. We send out a cruise missile. It's got something on it. It's going to go. The human in the loop has made that decision. We have to be unafraid of making decisions and unafraid of the consequences of those decisions. And that is what I think our adversaries are trying to put in our fear. Oh, no, I might make a mistake. There will be mistakes. We're going to limit those. But that's the reality of the situation we're in. Who knows? AI may help us not make a mistake. Chris? Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually kind of torn by this. I'm of, I'm of two minds in a couple different things. And I think I reflect uh, kind of the thinking of most members of Congress, at least those who think about these types of topics and are involved with these kind of policies, which isn't the majority of Congress. It's, it's just a few, <laughs> you know, uh, this is kind of seated in our, in our culture because of Hollywood and because of, of, you know, you know, uh, movies and books and some of the, you know, well-known things that even, even in our, our vocabulary about AI, you know, uh, Skynet, for example, where the, you know, the vision Hollywood created was that, uh, you know, this would take over and we wouldn't be able to override it. And without a human in the loop, it was, you know, doomed to do it, make its own decisions and lead to catastrophe. A view that I think many of us share. Uh, I would never support a nuclear posture with AI integrated that didn't have a human in the loop. Um, and I think there's examples of why that's essential. Uh, an incident in in Russia, which I think the article talks about, uh, the Petrov incident, where it, there, the sensors indicated there had been a, a series of launches from the United States. 
And the protocol would have been that they, Russia would have responded. But the duty officer at the time, a man named Petrov, was, you know, used his own in, intuition and knowledge and just logic to say, hey, they've only launched a few missiles. That makes no sense. Why would they launch three uh, and not a massive strike, a preemptive strike like this? And also the early warning radars hadn't picked it up. And he over overrode the the recommendation and, you know, averted a catastrophe. Again, that's a good ex- illustration of why you need to have a human in the loop. But having said that, I think that AI can help us. It, it can integrate sensors. It can provide more information to the decision makers. Um, from a deterrence point of view, I think it strengthens our deterrence in the sense that it reduces the uh, the possibility of, of a mistake or, or an error, human error. But but two points to conclude. Number one is the human has to be the ultimate decision maker, I believe. Um, and and the second thing is that and uh, I, I'm sorry, I actually lost my train of thought. What was the second thing? Yet does that ever happen to you? There uh, is a second thing. I just can't. Of I just course, can't Chris, you were thinking right like now. a congressman oh, oh, again. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. Uh, we held some really fascinating hearings, and some of them were open hearings. On uh, The open hearings were on deep fakes. In the classified realm, it's on the ability of our aggressors or our adversaries to use AI to manipulate intelligence, where you know perhaps they could even implant in our sensors, say for an easy example, a, an image of a ship that might be somewhere that it's actually not. And our inability to determine whether that was real or not. And I bring that up to say, yeah, AI might help us be more defensive. It may help us be more effective. But you got to realize as well, it could be a a terribly destabilizing element. Uh, If our adversaries use AI to generate images or to generate, uh, you know, uh, intel that we can't determine is real or not, uh, that, that leads to a much, much less stable world. Yeah, but Chris, I, I want I want to throw a comment back to that because I I always look at things from two ends, and the answer is uh, you're right. AI can do that. I don't think us not using AI is going to stop our adversaries from doing that. And the flip side of that is that AI has the ability to pull out nuances that the humans might not be able to tell to actually say that is a deep fake. So again, it's a, you know, two sides of the coin problem. It's always my argument about locks. You know, everyone says you put on a lock. Well, for every lock, there's a key. Uh, For every key, I put another lock. You know, it's, that's the game that's the game. It's sadly, it's a real life game between us and our adversaries, which one, you know, which one is ahead of the other. And by hampering ourselves by saying we won't do it or we won't even use it or we won't even evaluate it or you know is is concerning to me because of a fear that something will happen and i think our adversaries are using that against us right now chris yeah james i agree uh and i hope i wasn't miscommunicating indicate i didn't agree with that um okay so let, let me just state my view simply because it reflects yours. Once again, I think AI can is a, is a powerful tool that we should integrate as best we can. It can enhance our capabilities. Uh, I wouldn't support uh, allowing AI to have autonomous uh, authority for it to override or to act on its own without a human uh, a human making the final decision. And to your second point, uh, James, 
our adversaries are going to use this. They're going to use every tool available to them. They'll use them uh, in ways that we wouldn't, that uh, strengthen them and, and relative to us, make it more difficult for us. I'm okay with that because there are some things that I just think we shouldn't do. But we, uh, the presumption has to be as well that our adversaries will not be constrained by the same uh, moral considerations that we might think about. I, you know, I would let me offer a couple of of points and I want to challenge y'all because, you know, this. So let's go back to the creation of perimeter. So when when we started, we made decisions in the 1970s in our nuclear strategy to target the Soviet leadership. We thought that would improve deterrence, that if we said to the Soviets, we have, you know, we have uh, weapons that are accurate and can target you. We thought the Soviets would be more deterred. Well, the Soviet response was to develop the perimeter system, which was a dead man system. In effect, if it if it got cut on and the system once the system was activated, if the system lost communication with the Soviet leadership, then that meant the Soviet leadership had been, you know, eradicated. And then the system would automatically send, you know, codes to existing weapons and they would launch. And of course, when we found out about it, because this actually goes back to, you know, Dr. Strangelove, you know, we have to know about it. And when we found out about it, we stopped targeting the Soviet leadership and the system did exactly what it was supposed to do. It changed the way we targeted the Russians. And so when it comes to perimeter, one of the things, or like, let's say there's a new AI based NC3 system. Part of what it's trying to do is increase risk to drive risk aversion. That That's part of what they are designed to do is to force the adversary back because by you increasing risk, you're shaping their tolerance for that risk and shoving them back. So I, I would just like to put that out there. But I thought part of the challenge is, is there's a lot of comparisons of apples and oranges. Like, for example, the Petrov example. I don't think that's even a relevant example to a discussion of the utility of AI in a nuclear command and control system. That was a hard-coded system. There were errors in the system. And the way the system was designed was that the duty officer was supposed to determine what those errors were. The system worked exactly like it was supposed to. There was no there was no problem. You know, there were missed, uh, you know, miss the early detection wasn't there. Therefore, what did Petrov do? He did exactly what he was supposed to. He, the system worked as it was designed and there was no artificial intelligence. It's, you know, and then as we think about the, the creation of a new system today, that system is not going to be Skynet in which we flip it on and we just say, you got this buddy. And then the system just starts saying, you know, I want to do this. That system is going to have algorithms that are embedded in more than, you know, there's more than 100 systems in the NC3 system. It's a system of systems. And there might be thousands of algorithms embedded in that system doing very discrete tasks. It's not that there's a general artificial intelligence. It's that there's little, lots of little bitty tasks that 
each of these discrete algorithms and those discrete algorithms, you know, maybe they're running, you know, like a random forest where you've got multiple algorithms that are that have uh, that have, you know, that are different, but they examine the same data but they're examining it through different algorithms so and so therefore they they check each other and if the the multi, let's say you have two three four algorithms looking at you know uh ir signatures and then those algorithms one says yep that's a launch and then the other two say well that's not what we, we see and then you know therefore you don't do something or you transmit hey there's discrepancy and so the way that you would actually build the system is nothing like what you're often seeing in these articles that have this hand wringing and, you know, all this, oh, my goodness, because, you know, algorithms are only as good as the humans that design them, right? They're a human designed product. They're like anything else. And so that's like people don't say, hey, well, you can't, hey, don't go shooting missiles based on radar signatures. Don't go be targeting that what you think is a bomber just because your computer says that that's a bomber. You need to look at it, see it firsthand. Once you've pulled up next to it and you've seen that it's actually a bad guy bomber, then back off and then get behind it and shoot it. That's stupid. You would never do that. We trust computers all the time to give us information without vetting and verifying them. But yet there's somehow with artificial intelligence... We, we we wring our hands and then he goes and he says, well, hey, listen, uh, Tesla's crash when they're in autopilot. So therefore you can't trust A.I. That's a stupid argument. The reason it's stupid is because people crash cars. So all you need to do for an A.I. to be better than a human is have one less car crash than the humans would have in the same parameters. And then it's a superior product. It's better than the humans. It just has to be 0.1% better. It's not as though the AI must always be perfect while humans are screwing everything up. But that's sort of what we've set up the system to be. That's the standard, and it's a bad standard. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Adam, I, some, some really excellent points there. And part of, and part of this is that AI, just like humans, are based on the information we put into them or as you know the training files that are used to train the AI itself in the same way you know when you were born Adam you probably didn't have an a, an inkling of an idea how to write an article but through your experiences in life you built those experiences and then you became I'm not sure an intelligence but at least you're a know-it-all and so um and and so, uh, you know, the AI does the same thing. We provide it the information that we want to develop. And, you know, and, and so I agree with you. I think we have a higher standard for the computer to be accurate, but also the computer to, to interpret. And that's where I agree with Chris um, that you've got to have the human in the loop because mistakes with nuclear weapons are big mistakes, but so... But so are mistakes on the other side of not interpreting a nuclear attack is also a big mistake. And we need to let our adversaries know that we're not going to make either mistake. And so that's part of the development and analysis. And we will get better at it as we implement it and embrace it the same way we've embraced 
computers over time, the electronic systems over time in our cars, you know, all the various things that are there. And there, there, there are going to be challenges. I'm not, I'm not expecting perfection, but I don't expect it. You know, aside from Curtis, I don't expect perfection from anyone, but Curtis lives up to that point. So go ahead, Curtis. All right, so yeah. <clears throat> well, you guys have very, very, very convincing arguments here, and I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with any of them. But I would say, let me offer this. And I, you know, we wrote Dead Hand. America needs a dead hand. Back in 2019, the world was different than it is today, especially with regard to AI and the perception of AI. And AI today is is as demonized as it is valued. And uh, I think the world, and specifically America, is really sort of wrestling with, you know, what is AI good for? So, I mean, AI is, uh, you know, is is perfect for, you know, doing knee surgeries, right? Running robots and replacing replacing your knee. We trust it to do that. Um, and it is driving cars. They have these autonomous cars. And, and then yeah, and occasionally um, someone gets hurt, something doesn't work. Whatever and whatever the case may be, and and humans, of course, are are are, are fallible, right? We we make mistakes, and we uh, do terrible things to one another um, all the time. So the answer is is that AI is is really as good or as bad as those who program it, and <clears throat> and that's where the controversy Absolutely. really is. But and the I'm sorry, the I'm, other, let, me, let me finish okay. my thought here though. Sure. So when we look at AI, because if I don't, I'll forget it. Like Chris, I'll forget these things when I'm in the middle of my conversation. So, <laughs> so the point here with AI and nukes isn't whether or not AI should should launch a nuke on its own decision process. Yes, that would be ridiculous. No one is advocating for that. But what we're <clears throat> what we don't want to do is enact legislation. Um, or or do other things, or, um, or 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 simply just eliminate the possibility of the use of this capability, because we demonize it incorrectly, and we we refuse to utilize it properly. And there are many methods in which to apply it. If you uh, if to apply it, if you if you think through it innovatively. And and I think we've done this through several different articles. Um, uh, Adam and I put an article out on, on June first addressing um, the uh, the legislation that came out called um, the Block Nuclear Launch by Autonomous Artificial Intelligence Act of 2023, which, by the way, I just recently checked on GovTrack says it has a two percent pass potential to pass. Um, it, it is not law. It is not moved through the committees. It is. Um, um, you know, something that is yet again designed to tie the hands of the of the American strategist while enabling the adversary to do whatever it is they want to do in the hope that they'll follow our lead and choose not to do it. What motivation is there for China or Russia uh, to to not do this out of the altruistic you know, views and, and the, and the, their love for humanity, specifically American humanity. Um, so my argument is, is that they're going to do what best fits their, 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 uh, national interests, what they need to do in order to enact their, their number one mission, which is to deter us. And Adam gave a great example of how perimeter changed and deterred us. Uh, and, and even though it, it really didn't come to fruition till the late eighties into the, and, and then really kind of came really what it is now in the nineties when peace was breaking out all over the world. 
So, <clears throat> so the bottom line is the goal of deterrence is to ensure the threat, right? And, and even if you kill me, I'm going to get you back. I'm going to kill you back. That is where AI fits into this and how you run those through and how you set that system up and the multiple uh, filters that can be done to, uh, to assess um, <clears throat> a threat vector or an attack vector, I think can overcome um, these sorts of issues. And in the end, it is still a human making the decision. It may be an advanced directive. We do this all the time in our, in our legal sense, right? Hey, if I go down <clears throat> from an auto accident and I'm a vegetable, I don't want to be resuscitated. Well, wait a minute. You're not in a position to make that. Well, no, I made that decision while I was had all my mental faculties. So I have authorized, you know, basically, <clears throat> you know, uh, you know, the, the self-term, you know, determination of myself uh, because I'm not going to come back to what I was. So what all we've said is, is that let's not eliminate the possibility of thinking through that because there is a there is a great deterrent value in that. And why do we know that? Because the adversaries do it to us. They deter us with the same potential threat. I'll stop there. Chris, you you have been quiet for a bit of time. I, I wanted to bring you back into the conversation. You you heard our impassioned pleas. So now now you've got to say, ah, I do, you, you just you're still not on it or. Or maybe you're like, you know what? Yeah. I am a convert now. <laughs> what do you? Well, what do you I, think? I actually think I'm a. I was a convert before. I'm not sure that I've disagreed with any of you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, maybe I'm just bad at communicating. Um, again, I think your your example about perimeter is is a is a great example, and the point that you make from that, I completely agree with. And and I think AI. It, it is going to, I mean, it's not a question of will it or not. It, it is going to be integrated in, in various parts of our, of our nuclear uh, posture and our nuclear strategy as even if it does nothing but enhance uh, the technology used in sensing, for example, it's going to be integrated. Uh, and that's a good thing. Uh, and by the way, I think it's a good thing if, if China or Russia integrates it as well as if it provides them better information, that's a good thing. Uh, I mean, the only, only position I would take, which I think we all agree in, is that they're, they're consistently, as a matter of policy and as a matter of reality, there has to be a human in the loop. Uh, and, um, and I think that ultimately it's got to be a human decision. Again, I think we're unanimous on that. Well, let, let me ask you, let yeah. me challenge you right there. So, in the situation, would you act? Would you have a perimeter-like system, a dead man switch? That let's say we lose communications with the president, and you know, there's, there's, we can't find leadership because one of the things I've thought about for an AI-based system, and this is something we don't do now, is that the president sits down in times of peace and says, "Hey." In these are these are the responses I would want if these are the situations yep. I'm presented with. That's the and advanced that directive. Adam. Pre-plan yeah, response directive. That's yeah. Would you support something akin to a dead hand yeah. system? That you know, if we lose our leadership and our adversaries know, hey, if you try to take out the president, yeah, here's what's not only would I support it, but I think it's essentially integrated into our nuclear posture now. I mean, we don't just roll over. There are uh, backups that would allow us to still provide deterrence. Uh, interesting to note as well that even in the in the uh, perimeter, 
there there was ultimately a human which made the final decision. It was a a junior officer, kind of a you know guy out in the woods, kind of a thing. Someone who who wouldn't have been impacted by the the initial attack, uh, presumptively. But there still was a person who made that who made that final decision. And and once again, I think that enhances our deterrence. If our if our adversaries think they can they can eliminate our nuclear abilities with a first strike, especially with the accuracy that is integrated in some of the new systems now, then nuclear deterrence is weakened. And so, again, I I think that we should have policy regarding that, and I think by and large we do. Uh, It's a little bit different than the the perimeter that the Russians set up, obviously, and it's been updated through the years. But uh, uh, I, I want to come back to one other point, too, and that is one thing we want to be careful of is there is a bias in human interactions with technology where we often trust it when we shouldn't. Uh, you know, we kind of feel like, well, the computer told me this, therefore, the, and, and, you know, the computer's right and I'm wrong. And, and that's something that's got to be integrated in our training in, in our, with our military officers and with decision makers to challenge the information that's provided, not to just accept it blindly, because it is possible that, it's, uh, that what you're being provided may not be accurate. Yeah, it's, is, that, is that along the, I think it's almost along the lines of their are lies, damn yeah. lies, and statistics in that kind yeah. of in that the yeah. same thing, G- Jim? I mean, we're out of time, so you well, got to give the two, last word. I'll t- give two quick last words. One, I tried to interrupt Curtis, but he shut me down. So I do want to I do want to say because he mentioned <laughs> morals, etc. And I'll say one other thing about AI is it doesn't have am you know human ambition. And so in some ways, it's a, it's a sage way of looking at things without that human ambition piece in there. So maybe we could write the AI for our adversaries so they're only in a defensive posture and never, you know, offensively. So I would toss that one up there. But, you know, there's, there's two sides of this coin. And again, it's complex. And, I, and so, so although I sound like I was disagreeing with Chris, I actually agree in that it's a complex problem that needs to be weighed out and, and viewed. And I want to walk people back again to the nuclear side of this in three mile Island. Okay. In three mile Island, they had computer systems that were predetermined how to shut down the system and what to do in an accident scenario. And, and what ended up happening is the humans climbed in and disassembled the computer controls so they could go in and stop three mile Island from doing what it was supposed to do, or you wouldn't even know about Three Nile Island. And so in that case there, the predecisions by the scientists who set this up were the ones that knew what was going on in a, in a non-threatening environment, and the people that were on site during the threatening environment did that. So go back and read the Three Mile Island accident scenario. So, so there's reasons why these things are valuable. We just have to understand them and embrace them. So that's my last piece. I don't want to do the hills at any of that. Go ahead, Adam. Adam. I know you. I know you gave Jim the last word, and you could give it back to him. But I have to add just one thing here. I'm here we so go sorry. Again. <laughs> hey, look, I've been out for two weeks. I'm all pent up here. All right. So um, <clears throat> Chris said something that was super interesting to me, which is that he says, "I hope Russia and China have this capability as well, because it might help them to be more stable." And 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 that is comp- that is completely the opposite of what the way the rest of this world and these authors to this piece are looking at this problem set, right? It's the idea that no one should have it. It's too dangerous. And we keep forgetting about the alternative, which is everybody should have it. 
And let's figure out a way to have it open so that, hey, you have it, I have it. Maybe we can verify that we're working it the same way. But rather than trying to deny everybody, let's make sure that we're using it responsibly. And those are two different mindsets that folks in this arena of ideas, the disarmament community, um, are not are not even willing to discuss. And, and this goes to that idea that uh, there was some talk many years ago about NC3 and all of the surveillance and detection pos- uh, postures that go with it and technologies should be shared by all the nuclear capabilities. They should all be talking to each other and sharing their data, and that would create the most stable nuclear world. Rather than try to disarm everybody, let's make it transparent. So the challenge then is, is how do you verify how do you get organ, uh, countries like Russia and China who are in North Korea who are suspicious of the rest of the world to want to play that game and convince them that we're not trying to take anything away from you. We just want you to open yourselves up to us and we'll open ourselves up to you. That is a different mindset. No one is addressing this problem in this manner. Brilliant observation, Congressman. Thank you for being here. Okay. Well, I don't want to lose our special designation as a commute podcast, you know, because we try to keep it around 30 minutes so that you can listen to it on your way to or from work. And so we'll I'll cut everybody off here. And of course, I want to say thanks to Curtis. Thanks to Jim. Thanks to Chris. And of course, thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us on this episode of the NIDS View. And as always, we want to remind you to think deterrence. Thank you for listening to the NIDS View. This show is produced under the NIDS Podcasting Network, a division of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies. NIDS is a 501c3 organization dependent upon donations to provide this podcast and bring about awareness of the peacekeeping value of U.S. strength and our national deterrence. You can catch all of our podcasts or provide feedback at thinkdeterrence.com. I would like to thank our producer, Kimberly Charrington, our sponsors, and all the fantastic members of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies for making this podcast possible. Stay tuned next week for another exciting and informative The NIDS View.